So, grace and peace to you guys from God our Father, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You guys glad to be here? Good place to hang out and worship? Love one another? Hang out together? Party together? Play games together? Eat food together? Get crazy together? A bunch of crazy Christians. You got to love that. At least that's what the world thinks. Crazy Christians, man, you know? So let's pray. God, thanks for this time. Help us to think through truth. I'm a sinful man, so I can easily mess up your truth. So Holy Spirit, we need you to invade our minds and our hearts, grab us, cause us to be attentive to your voice, Vox Day, not mine. And I pray that I would not dishonor your word and that it would give you glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thanks for the privilege to be here. You know I love these folks, love these guys. Love Pastor John, and just love the privilege to hang out and worship with him. So help us now, please. I ask that Christ in your name. Amen. So big Thanksgiving's planned? Okay, all right. So you guys don't do Thanksgiving Wisconsin, huh? Is that it? Is... So what about this? What about this for introduction? When you think of the word authority or authoritative or the authorities, Authority, authoritative, or the authorities, what comes to your mind? Just shout it out. When it comes to your mind, shout it out. Authority, authoritative, or authorities? What is it? Rules. Let's shout out rules together. Rules. Come on, shout it. Gosh, my goodness. Say rules. All right, I want you to come under my authority and shout rules. Nice. I can tell you guys buck authority. What else comes to your mind? What other words come to your mind? What? Wife? Did I hear you say that? There's marriage counseling available after the service. My wife will be back there. She's come under my authority so we can fix things, okay? Is that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in trouble now, right? Here we go. So what else comes to your mind when you think of the word authority? Or authorities or authoritative? Judgment. Ooh. Judgment. By who? Yeah. So what else comes to your mind? Authority. Let's engage our mind. Law. The law. I fought the law. And the law won. That was an old song and some oldie guys sang, right? I fought the law. And the law won. And our son was a deputy sheriff for years. They win eventually. They'll get you. So what else? Law. Judgment. Power. Rules. Or the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me, right? I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. When I think of the word authority, I think of back in high school, which was just a couple weeks ago. Back in high school, I think about a teacher that I had for biology. Her name was Ms. Zar Necky. How appropriate. She was the czar. You walked in her room and she had the rules. She was the law. She had her own Bible in a sense of do's and don'ts. She had judgment upon your face through grades in your life. All of those words, it was her domain, 
Her, she was the authority. It was going to be her way or you were gone. In fact, the first day of class, we're all sitting there, you know, sophomores, just sitting there looking at her like, okay, what's she going to do? And she stood there and stared at us for a while. And then she walked through the classroom and she said, you're out, you're out, you're out. She started throwing people out of her authoritative domain. And we're all going, what was that all about? And so I think somebody had the nerve to raise their hand and say, what, what, what was that for? And she said, I didn't like the way they were dressed. So I threw them out. And if you talk when you're not supposed to talk, if you get up when you're not supposed to get up, if you mess around at all in any way, you'll be out of my class too. Do you got it? And man, we sat there scared to death. How would you like that the first day? I mean, the first day. Nowadays, you do that and the teacher goes to jail. Back then, no, you were in jail. That's just the way it was. But I did love one, one element of that. I loved, I loved it was the biology, so we cut things up, you know. That was fun. I love that. And I got to pass the frogs out. Going to, the, you know, going to the jars and grab the frogs, get them, smell that formaldehyde. And my girl, Linda, who's out there somewhere wandering around, she said, I heard Chuck the first time I'm done. He's my husband. I'm through with him. She's out there somewhere. She was sitting in the class, and I really had a crush on her. And I thought, you know, I think what could I just really get her to get her a crush on me like me is I'll just take one of these frogs and really soak it in formaldehyde and give it an airborne ride right into her lap. Huh? Nice. So I did, I wiggled it around, then I took it in the air, looked right at her, and she's like, no, and flung that baby from Eldehyde, was flying everywhere. And what do you think Miss Zarnecki was doing? It wasn't good. I mean, the frog landed in Linda's lap, and it was gross, and I landed out of the class in the office, and I was under judgment because I had broken her rules and did not respond to her authority, which was that room, her domain. God's got rules. The world is his domain. I mean, infinity is his domain. He's in charge of all things. He's got laws. He's got judgment. He's got power. He's got the Bible. He's got all of that. And it's, if I can say this in a cliche way, it's, it's his way or the highway. It's, it's his deal. The problem is we're human beings. And if you've been a teacher at any point in your lives, you know that as human beings, or you've been a boss in some way, or you've worked for somebody, or you've been a student, we, we all know that as human beings since the fall, we have struggled with the authority and the rule and the loving law of God in our lives. We just struggle with it. We just do. We all like to rule. We all like to extend judgment. We all love power. We all love to make our laws. Chuck's Bible. And it's an issue for all of us. 
So we're going to talk about the authority of God, the absolute authority of God, or the rule of God. You've been studying Christ, so we'll talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and how that works out in our lives. So if you've got your Bibles, turn them open to Matthew chapter 28. And let's begin there. We're going to do a little journey through the Bible. you got your phones. You can do that. I don't know if they're going to throw it up on the screen. They could do that. You can do whatever you want to do because you have absolute authority, at least for the moment. So Matthew chapter 28, the resurrection taking place. Everybody's scattered all over the place. They've all struggled with the authorities and the authority of Christ. Peter said, he said, do this, but I'd rather go fishing, but okay, let's think about this. Maybe I should go where he said to go. So they're there now, and he authoritatively is going to say this about himself. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountains to which Jesus had directed them with his absolute authority. I want you to go there. He told the wind and the waves to hush his authority. So they're there, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, gave homage, proskuneo in the Greek. They fell down in adoration, but some said, I'm not sure. They doubted. Don't you often wonder who they were? We don't know. But if you would have been in that group, what would you have done? Worshipped or doubted? goes on and says, and Jesus came and said to them, now this is awesome. This is powerful. God in the flesh, the deep mystery of the God-man. B.B. Warfield, one of the great props, old dead guys of Princeton, wrote a theological treatise on this issue of the hypostatic union, the God-man, 400 pages of God be Jesus being fully God, Jesus being fully man. When he got through with the book, he said, well, you got to take it all by faith. Great mystery. So Jesus comes and he says to them with their mouths hanging open, some are down, some are up, some are in awe, some are doubting. He says, all authority, exousia in the Greek. Basically, I've got sovereign rule over your breath, your heartbeat, your life, and that's for all human beings, everybody. I mean, there's good news to that, except for we struggle with authority. All authority in heaven and on earth, now here's the mystery, has been given to me. So if you're not thinking well... It's like, okay, so God the Father gave it to the created Jesus the Son. That's bad theology. Jesus was the creator, a part of the Godhead. So what does it mean when it was given to him? Well, it was given to his manhood. It's a deep mystery. He always had it, but it was given. He's in the womb, but he's God. How does that work? I love living in the mysteries of God. It's good to do that. He says, go. He said, here's what I want you to do now. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in my authoritative name, in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you authoritatively. 
And behold, my authority, you're going, it's not in there. This is what he was saying. My authority, my power, my law, my word is with you always to the end of the age. Go and shake it up, and I give you authority to do it because I am the absolute authority of all things. That's good news. That's why we give glory to God. Father, Son, and Spirit. That's why it's like, whoa. One old dead guy, one of the guys I love to read, old dead guy, says this about that thought of authority and given, given authority to Christ the man. He says, it's a truth which in no wise takes away from the true notion of Christ's divinity. As some have ignorantly supposed, it's simply a declaration that in the councils of the eternal trinity, Jesus is the Son of Man, is appointed heir of all things, that he is the mediator, the only mediator between God and man, that the salvation of all who, who will be saved are laid upon him. He is the great fountain of mercy, life, and peace. Christ is he who has the keys of death and hell, not someone sitting in a chair in Rome. He alone can absolve sinners. Christ is the prince of peace who can alone give repentance, that great gift and remission of sins. In him all fullness dwells. He is the way. He is the door. He is the light. He is the life. He is the altar of human refuge, the great shepherd. That's good news. We could stop right now, get the band up here, and let's rock. Let's worship the king, right? That's good news, you guys. And if you're in Christ, it is great news to think through. Now, I got a big idea I want to throw your way. To have a big idea is a good idea. That's what somebody told me. Somewhere, somewhere. So here's a big idea for you. It's this, the divine absolute authority. The divine absolute authority of the Lord. Here's his full name. The Lord Adonai, Jesus, Yeshua, Christus, Christ. The divine absolute authority of the Lord Jesus Christ brings... The greatest peace, the greatest problems, and the greatest purpose for mankind. See, we see him as this, well, he's my loving shepherd. He's my, you know, he's kind of like my Jesus that I go to, and, and he's like my parent that I go to and beg and plead and get what I want from him. We have a hard time seeing him that, you know, he is the greatest peace. We, okay, that's good. He's got the greatest problems for mankind, and he's got the greatest, really, the ultimate, the superior, the only purpose for mankind. That's why the old dead guy said, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So I want to look at those three mysterious truths, and then we'll worship together. We'll get Johnny and the gang up here, and not Johnny Cash. <laughs> he fell into a burning ring of fire. He's gone. Well, Billy Graham said he's a believer, so that's good.
So number one, let's talk about the first part of that little idea, the greatest peace. Everybody wants peace. Back in the 60s, people smoke things. Now it's being legalized and we sell it. We rub it on our feet, rub it on our backs, rub it on our faces, put it in our coffee and we get a little peace. Back then, back then man, you, you didn't do that. Somebody smelled some skunky stuff out there. The peace officers came. They hauled you away with the peace that was in your hand. Or hopefully you got rid of it before they came. But oh, everybody wants peace. We want peace in our marriages, peace in our homes. We want peace eternal. We want peace and we all try to figure it out our own way. How do we get that peace? Where does that peace come from? The Buddhists say this way. The Hindus say this way. The Muslims say this way. The Romans say this way. The existentialists say, feel your way to it. The hippies say, smoke your way to it. How do you get that? Where does it come from? You're all going, Jesus. But what does that mean to you? What does it mean to me? So let's just kind of follow the story quickly. Look at Luke chapter 2. I love Christmas time. Pastor John talked about it for just a moment. Let's look at it. Just, just for a moment, the story. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8 through 14. Do you guys love Christmas? Yeah. Christmas fun? Christmas good? Christmas cookies? Christmas presents? A little mistletoe? A little Santa? A little Jesus? A little the greatest people. Watch this. Here we go. It says in verse 8, Luke chapter 2, verse 8, And in the same region, Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, boom, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, boom, and they were filled with awe, fear. I wonder what their faces looked like. In the first service, it was awesome. Several people started making faces at me. I felt like I was speaking to a bunch of middle schoolers again or junior highers. I'm like, oh, this is fun. What do you think? What do what the shepherds look like? What were their bodies doing? Anybody wet their toga? What do you think? All of a sudden, boom, an army from heaven shows up. You've been out there with sheep. Boom, the glory of God. It's kind of like we read the story and we're like, okay, oh, wow. There it is. I've seen it in a movie. That's nice. What would you have done on the hills of Bethlehem? Dug a foxhole? What would you have done, man? This is like, whoa! I love these stories. I love to, I love them. And the angel said to them, now the angel's talking. Fear not, really? They're filled with fear. Okay, stop it. Don't be afraid, okay? Don't be afraid now. It was a command, authoritative command. Fear not. Stop being afraid. Look at this. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great kara, joy, which relates directly in the language to salvation. That will be for all the people, all types, ethnic groups. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is 
Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, and we sing this, the hallelujah chorus, the Messiah, right? Glory, they, 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 they probably were not singing it, folks. They were, the word host there really comes from the Hebrew, which is they were an army of warriors. They weren't an a cappella group, my magical. They, were, they weren't this little mamby-pamby thing. They were warriors. They were probably chanting their war cry. Glory to God in the highest Look at this, and on earth, peace, 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 goodwill. It says, goodwill, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's good news. The peacemaker was coming. The warrior of heaven's coming to make peace. Man had fallen and come under the curse of the law. Somebody's got to be the peacemaker, and all these other religions think they can do it. And sometimes, even as Christians, we think we can do it. Well, we'll try a little harder to make peace with God. We'll work a little more. We'll be a little more serious. We'll do more. You can't do more to make peace with God. Never, never, ever. It is the peacemaker's righteousness alone. I love that. Because I'm done otherwise. I'm done. We could stop there and worship. That's good too, huh? John, well, you guys are going, well, we'll stop. Let's do it, right? Here, look at this. Look at Romans chapter 5. Let me show you this. If you got your Bibles, turn to it. If not, you got your phones, turn to it. Your phones will fail you. This, this won't fail me. I turn to it. There it is, your phone. Yeah, you'll, you'll go to do, to do it on your phone, and you get a weird picture on there. Something will creep up and freak you out. A little robot shows up. Something goes bad. You got a cookie. You got something, but this won't do that. Oh, no, 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 no. Your phone might start beeping at you. One of these days, if you mess up, your phone's going to laser you to death. Oh, yeah, you mess with it too much, boop, you're gone right there in your chair. Romans chapter 5, Paul writes to Christians in Rome, and he's telling them about peace. Therefore, since we have been declared justified, not guilty by faith, we have Irene, peace. It's like Irene. That's the word. That's where the name comes from. If you have a daughter, you name her Irene, or your name's Irene, it means peace. She's a peace child. We have peace with the Godhead through our Adonai Yeshua Christus. Only through Christ and his righteousness. He goes on to talk about in chapter 5, one of the most powerful chapters in the entire Bible, which covers the doctrine of imputation. And if you don't know what it is, you should dig, dig it out. I got peace through Jesus with God. I don't got to worry about it. I don't got to go, oh, man, it's the greatest peace. You got all kinds of Christian people who say they're Christians are still trying to earn their peace with God. And some abuse their peace with God. That's a whole other issue. The peacemaker has come. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. I love it. All through the Bible, it talks about this. Ephesians chapter 2, and look at verse 13. Paul writes to Christians 
at Ephesus. Now remember, when you study the Bible, hermeneutics real important. And here's one of them. It's like, who is he? Who's the author writing to? He's writing to Christians. Therefore, it applies to Christians. Firstly, he says to them, Ephesians 2, verse 13, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's, it's awesome truth. For he himself is our peace. You know, in some churches I go and speak or where you're visiting, whatever, they have a time when they pass the peace, right? And back in the 60s, again, people would be doing all kinds of stuff, right? But it's the peace of Christ with you. It's only if by faith you've trusted in his righteousness alone to make you right with the Godhead. That is it. That's it. The angels announced it. Paul writes about it. It is powerful truth. He goes on and he talks about it. He's our peace who has made us both one, broken down the walls of the Gentiles, the Jews, abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace ethnically, Peace culturally, peace worldwide as believers come together into the righteousness of Christ. That's just good news. And only he has the authority to do that. That's it. There is, he kept the law because Adam failed. He's the Lamb of God who took the wrath of his father to make peace. He took hell for me. I hope for you if you believe that. You repented and believe. He's the Lion of Judah who rose again from the grave. He demonstrated to the entire world throughout history. John writes in Revelation, Behold, behold the Lion of the tribe of Judah, or the Root of David who's conquered all things and can open the scrolls and end all things. And someday the peacemaker's coming back to get us. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we don't need a turkey. We don't need a tree. We need to get out of this place. Anybody excited about that? I heard an amen over there. I'll take it. Second truth in that little big idea is he's the greatest problem for mankind. He's, 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 he's the greatest problem because you're in his classroom. He's got sovereign authority. He's got his rules. He's got his love, but he's got his rules. He's got judgment. He's got power. He is the living, active word of God. As Luther said, it scares me. The word of God has hands and feet. It chases me. It runs me down and grabs me by the throat, sticks me on the ground and pins me down. People say, Jesus does that. He's the living word of God. If we're thinking right, we want him to do that. Because it's authority of love to help us. Got the greatest problems for two groups of people. First of all, let's look at the unbelievers. What's the greatest problem for unbelievers? Now, it's easy for us all to say, well, you know, uh, well, uh, well, yeah. Well, let's look at what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 7. It's a powerful text. I thought it would be better to come from Jesus' lips instead of mine in a sense. 
although I may make a comment on it, but Matthew chapter 7, he's talking to the crowd, primarily of religious leaders, and he says this, and it's directed to unbelievers and those who may think they're believers, but they're deceived because they're really not believers, they're unbelievers caught up in their own religious trappings. They could be today of any denomination. I think you got this situation in Baptist churches in independent churches, in community churches, in Methodist churches, Lutheran churches, all kinds of churches, and Jesus says to them, you better think about this in my authority. I'm a problem for you because I am the judge. And so he says to the crowd, in love. Now remember this, his authority is always in love. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, what's the will of the Father? Repent and believe in my story. It's my righteousness that makes you not guilty alone. Not yours. It's not you plus Jesus. On that day, many will say to me, the judgment day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? We cast out demons in your name and we did mighty works. We were religious people. He's a problem for religious people. And then Jesus said, I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There was lawlessness. There was no intimacy. There was no relationship. There was absolutely nothing. And yet you thought there was something. My mom used to say, you know, Jesus will never cast anyone into hell. And I think that's sweeping through our churches today. Not the lover of mankind. He wouldn't do that. Not the righteous judge. Not the line of Judah. Not the Lamb. He would never do that. I say, Mom, that's bad theology. Don't tell your mother that's bad theology. I say, Mom, that's bad theology. Jesus said, depart from me, which is he's going to cast them out. He even talks about it in Mark, the lake of fire. Talks about it in Revelation. Those who reject him as the peacemaker, making peace with the Father through his righteousness alone, his authority alone will be cast out. No, Jesus has to love everybody. He has to love everybody. That's who he is. He can't do that. He has to love everybody. Okay, if you're saying that, then who's got the authority in the situation? You basically have supplanted the authority of God incarnate. He's a problem for believers in the same sense. That's why John wrote to the believers in Ephesus, and it comes through the letter called 1 John. It's a powerful letter. I wish I had time to read the whole thing, but I don't. Maybe you guys get a chance you could do that. So for believers now, what's the problem? Well, John writes this. He's writing this little letter against antinomians. All right, antinomians are the group of people who say, I go to church, I've asked Jesus into my heart, uh, I give money, I'm involved in certain ways, go to a Christian school, all of these religious activities, but they don't know him. They've never truly repented and believed. Basically, an antinomian is this. I believe, an antinomian says, I'm saved by the favor of God, but I don't have to live faithfully for God. I can choose to be my own authority in any situation I want to be. John wrote against it. 
I mean, it's a letter to Christians. It is powerful. I remember sitting with a high school kid years ago, and I said, hey, Steve. You know, his mom said he saved. He, he saved, he saved, he saved. I said, okay, let's talk, and we got together. I just said, read this letter, this epistle. I'm going to go do something over here in the church building. I'm going to come back. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to tell me what you think about these words from the great letter writer John. I came back, and he looked at me, closed the Bible, and he said, I am not a Christian. I don't care what my parents say. They keep telling me that I've asked him into my heart. But he goes, I know I do not live for him at all. And I really have no desire to. Listen to what John says. Everyone who makes a practice, he's writing to Christians. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins. In him there is no sin. No one Christian who abides in him keeps on sinning. You're going, well, I don't keep on sinning. But the mindset is there. You don't care if you sin or not. There's a carelessness. There's a hardening. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him, little children, says, don't be deceived. Let your mind be messed with. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Listen, listen carefully. As he is righteous because God's spirit abides in you, you're going you're gonna to pursue a life that is godly, not in perfection, but in direction. says this, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to get rid of the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed, the Holy Spirit, abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it's evident who are the children of God, the real Christians, those who are at peace, right? And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not. This is the punch in the face. The one who doesn't love his brother. I go to church, but those Christians drive me crazy. My dad was a pastor. I grew up in a Christian home. I remember the conversations of my parents, and I love them, and they're in heaven, I believe. But boy, they struggled with Jesus. Like I do, like you do. I can remember, I can remember my dad saying, you know what, if that guy doesn't get out of the church, if he stays a deacon or an elder, you know, I just cannot love that guy. My mom's saying, Well, if he doesn't leave, I'll help him leave. Now I'm not condemning my mom and dad. They were just working through the struggle. Just like you guys. Jesus is the greatest problem for us. Paul said, imitate me because I imitate Christ. The seed is the Holy Spirit. The fruit of that spirit is love and joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Man, if I'm a believer, repented and believed in the peacemaker, then his peace is upon me, and I pursue that with a passion to love to care, to give, to serve, not because it's going to help me get to heaven, because it just pours out of me. I can't help myself. It's my, that's my spiritual genetics. Years ago, my brother was, he was out in, somewhere on the West Coast. I hadn't seen him in 10, 15 years. He goes, I'm coming through Chicago. Meet me at the airport. I said, okay. All right. Haven't seen him in years. So I get there. 
I'm waiting for him to come down the jetway, you know, and I'm going, no, 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 no. And then I saw him kind of stumbling down the jetway. He's tired, and he walks out, and I'm thinking, a reunion with my brother. We haven't seen each other. He's going to go, oh, my big brother, Chucky. Oh, man, we played football together and did music together. And, you know, we were little guys and took baths together and played with our toys and my big brother. This is what he said. Listen. He looked up and went, whoa. I'm like, what's the whoa? And then he said, whoa again. I said, what's the whoa? He said, I can't believe it. But you'll get this. He said, you look just like dad. I said, what? I mean, I love my dad. I didn't want to look like him. He had a big nose. Mine's, mine's gaining ground every day. I mean, I didn't want to look like him. He said, man, he said, you, you, you're losing your hair just like dad. I said, stop. He did say your eyes are sinking in like dad's and your nose is getting bigger because they're sinking in. You really look like dad. Yeah, you slouch like dad. Your ears are getting bigger like dad. You sound like dad. You look just like dad. And I said, well, yeah, walking down the jetway, you waddle just like mom. (laughs) And you look like her too. There's a great truth there, right? Right? The seed, John says to Christians, the seed, the spiritual peacemakers' genetics are in your body, mind. we got to start looking more like Jesus. I know some of you are going, well, gosh, I haven't seen a picture of him lately. I don't know. Did he have a big nose, a little nose? Was he losing his hair? What kind of hair? Did he oil his hair? How did he wear a robe, sandals? Come on now, go beyond that. heart, the character, God in the flesh. You've been studying Jesus. That's what I was told. And that's why I kind of went this way going, we got to come under his authority and think through his love and the deep mystery of it and go, am I pursuing being like him? Third truth of that big idea thing. His authority gives us the greatest purpose of life. I love talking to people, you know, and say, hey, so why do you exist? What's your purpose? Make money. Bigger house. Bigger yard. More vacations. More water parks, water slides. Swim with the dolphins. Go to Europe. See the Packers win another Super Bowl. Praise God it's not happening this year. I just lost half the crowd or more. But your pastor's with me on that. (laughs) I mean, come on. Our purposes are so earthly minded. I want to get the biggest deer I've ever shot. I want to buck with 50, 50 points. I'm going to cut its bloody head off and stick it on our bedroom wall. My wife can look up every night and go, yeah. Yeah, honey, it looks just like you. And then the wives are going, oh, man. 
You know, I just want to, can we trade this ring in for another bigger one? Uh, Hey, can you give me a nice necklace? And some of you ladies are going, don't mess with us. Well, okay, so how about a bigger house? How about a bigger yard? How about this? How about that? You know, it's like our purpose is so earthly. God didn't save me or you for that. He gave us a greater purpose. We just get so, so misfocused. I do. I mean, I prayed for years diligently that the Cubs would win a World Series before I went to heaven. Got it. My purpose is fulfilled. <laughs> no, no, no. It's never, I want to, if it's earthly, another one. I want another one. I want the Bears to do the Super Bowl shuffle again like in 85. I want another one. Why we exist? Look at, look, at, look at Matthew 28 again. Jesus tells these guys, guys, you're my guys, and I rescued you for one purpose, and that's why I'm saving people throughout the world for one purpose. Matthew 28, he says this, all authority given me. He says, go, 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 therefore, Tell my story, make disciples of all nations, tell my story, baptize them in my authoritative name, teach them, teach them to observe all things, teach them all things. That's your purpose. And he says, I'll be with you always in my loving authority to get the job done. I mean, come on, is there any greater purpose than having the privilege to tell the story of Jesus to somebody? And you're saying, well, yeah, if, they, if, they, if I give my altar call in front of the jewel parking lot and they come forward. No. The privilege is in just telling the story. That's it, man. And we need to get the story right. I ring the bell every year for the Salvation Army. I love it. I love it. I love it. I torment people. Can you see me? Yeah. I wish I had like a 25-pound bell, man. Ding, ding. I could be Kazimoto out there, you know. I love ringing it. And once in a while, I'll get a person stop say to me, why do you do that? Because I'm making big bucks from the Salvation Army. I'm getting a free vacation to Hawaii. I'm going to get points for my points ringing the bell. I say, and you're going, Chuck, do you always do it? No, I don't. I'm not perfect. I'm close. I'm perfect in Christ, but not in my flesh. And I, you know, why do you do it? And I say, can I just tell you a story? And, and I tell the story of Jesus. I don't go to the cross. I go to the garden. A man, Adam, failed. The hero, I'm writing a new book right now called The Logic of the Gospel, almost done. It's to tell the story logically, and out of that logic and truth comes the story of emotion in our lives that the peacemaker has invaded my soul and transformed me into a new creation. And I got hope. When Luther read Romans and the Spirit of God regenerated him, he said, I feel as if I've been born anew, born from above. Because he got the story. I, I love to tell the story. 
of unseen things of old, of Jesus and his glory. Man. Don't you love to tell? We love telling stories. There ain't no greater story. No greater story than to tell the story. John MacArthur says this. The greatest mission of the church is to so love, learn, and live as to call men and women to Jesus Christ. Tell the story. The believer who desires to glorify God and live out the greatest purpose for mankind is a storyteller. So we need to get the story right. I'm telling you, 40 years of ministry, I have seen the story blown to pieces. We must share God's love for the lost world and share in his mission to redeem lost the lost men and women to himself. How tragic, MacArthur says, listen, how tragic that so much of Christ's church is preoccupied with trivialities. Many Christians are fascinated with the process, have no thought for the goal, the purpose of telling stories, the story of Jesus. They are preoccupied with the spiritually insignificant and show little commitment to reaching the lost. And yet, he said to boys, boys, go tell my story. We just need to do it, man. There is no, there's nothing that makes my, I mean, my heart pump harder, gives me more thrill, lights me up. Linda will say, you know, at times she'll say, you know, I know you're sick and you got a fever and you're going to preach. She said, but when you get up to talk about Jesus, you light up. Because it's not me, it's Jesus. He lights me up. He saved me, rescued me. I was a dead man under the curse of the law, destroying my life and my family. He rescued me. The peacemaker rescued me. And I love telling a story. His domain, his rule, glorify him, honor him. He loves his children. I, I, I spoke to these high school kids, middle school kids the other night in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and I started out with it says, for God loves his chosen people, and listen to this, he'll never, ever stop loving. You can never do nothing to make God stop loving you if you're his chosen ones, never. Romans says, neither height nor depth, angels, principalities, powers, nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's even you if you're really in Christ Jesus, the peacemaker. But if you got the problem, you better think about it. And if you're not living out the purpose, you're missing the thrill of life. Missing it. We took a sailing trip with a bunch of high school kids a few years ago, and we're on the boats, and before we get on the boats... The one guy said, hey, you're going to be with that captain. 50-foot sailboats on these big lakes. And he said, um, this captain's incredible. And the captain got us together. And he said, all right, everybody, you listen to me. I'm the captain of the ship. If I say go below, you go below immediately. If I say go to that side of the boat, you go to that side of the boat. If I say bring the sails down, whatever, whatever I say, I'm the captain. My domain, my ship, my rule. I love you guys, and I want you to live. I'm the captain. And then he told the group we were with the story. He said they were on Lake Superior, a sailing trip, a bunch of high school kids on his boat, and a storm was coming up on Superior. And he told the kids immediately, get down below deck now. This one girl said, you got to make me. 
The storm hit the boat, threw overboard. They never found her body. She was lost because she wouldn't submit to the loving authority of her captain. Let's not do that. Jesus said, I've come. Peace. I got problems for you, but I got a purpose for you. Let's submit to it and enjoy it. Father, thank you for this time. Help us to worship you with our hearts, all of our hearts, to glorify you. It's our chief end. Be storytellers. Enjoy your relationship with us. Thank you that we can sing. I pray now you'd help us to sing. Engage in that singing. At Thanksgiving, help us to give thanks. Eat turkey, laugh, be together with family, pumpkin pie, whipped cream, but to give you thanks. Help us to be storytellers of your goodness, of your love, Christ of who you are, to give you glory. And I ask that Jesus in your name, amen.